Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. All right, good morning, afternoon, or evening, everyone, depending on when you're listening to this. Welcome back to another conversation between Kimberly Dowd and I about COVID. This is Nancy Johnson. I'm an attorney with Littler Mendelssohn's Orlando office. And with me once again, like I just mentioned, is my office's managing shareholder, Kimberly Dowd. Hi, everyone. After a brief hiatus, we wanted to catch up with you and discuss current hot topics on the vaccination front, namely vaccine mandates and how to handle them in Florida. Well, as we know, Kim, the anticipated OSHA ETS that we were all waiting for was finally issued last week, and that requires all employers subject to OSHA with 100 or more employees to have their employees vaccinated unless the employer allows weekly COVID testing as an alternative. So within a day of its issuance, 26 states, including Florida, filed legal actions challenging the constitutionality of the standard and creating an atmosphere of uncertainty. Nancy, can you explain the ETS as it currently exists? I can do my best. It's it's a little bit complicated right now, but as you know, well, as you just mentioned, there are a bunch of lawsuits out there sort of challenging whether or not OSHA had the authority to go ahead and issue this ETS. So let me back up a little bit too. I know we've talked about this in prior podcasts, but, but just to make sure that we're still all on the same page, ETS is a, is a little bit of a term of art and one that I hadn't heard before. It's an emergency temporary standard. Uh, it's sort of the the rule of the rulemaking that federal government agencies use, right? Part of the Administrative Procedure Act, all those law school classes that some of us never really paid attention to. But President Biden asked OSHA really to come up with this standard um, as part of its duty to make sure that workers in the United States are safe. So based on that, and based on authority given to OSHA by Congress, it came up with this standard and it sets out all these things that we're going to talk about. Well, all of these different lawsuits, which have been filed in at least five different appellate courts, and they go straight to the appellate courts. Um, The first one that that had any real traction or had any briefing was in the Fifth Circuit. Those were a lot of them were filed on Friday and then a couple were filed Monday essentially challenge whether or not OSHA had the authority, whether they usurped Congress's rulemaking authority and that this should have been done through an act of Congress. The first one in Texas was briefed by the DOJ already. The states that filed that challenge in Texas are going to file a reply. And then we don't really know, quite frankly. The government has asked that the Fifth Circuit take away their temporary stay. Right now there is technically a stay, although it doesn't stay much, because as you'll as you'll hear later on in our podcast, and I'll explain to you, there really aren't, isn't anything for an employer that they have to do until December 5th. So the government's saying, hey, let the employer start getting ready. It's gonna go up to the Fifth Circuit. And then the lawsuit that Florida was a part of will go to the 11th Circuit. It's also in several other circuits. And the the multi-district litigation rules basically put this in a lottery. And one of those circuits is going to choose and, and be the court that will decide whether or not this will go forward. Right now, all we can say is it's sort of a, a crapshoot. We don't really know what's going to happen. There's There's good argument that it can be enforced, that it's a permissible use of OSHA's power. There's arguments that it can't be. But for now, we think the the ETS is there and employers need to start paying attention. 
even before this ETS was issued, I heard the Florida legislature was considering a law prohibiting employer vaccine mandates. What can you tell us about that effort? Yeah, and that's that's a whole different aspect that was making a lot of news and making a lot of noise here in Florida until this ETS dropped. And now all of a sudden it's kind of gone quiet. But in the background, it's still happening. So as you remember, um, in Texas, Governor Abbott issued an order doing just that, saying employers cannot impose vaccine mandates on their employees. Well, just recently, uh, a court in Texas actually said, actually, no, employers can in Texas impose that. They, They came down on that side. But Governor DeSantis took the action of calling in the Florida legislature. They're going to convene on November 15th and start considering some of these actions. Interestingly, though, while Governor DeSantis kept talking about how he's not going to allow employers to tell their employees what to do and impose vaccine mandates on their employees, There is no proposed legislation yet that actually bans employers from imposing mandates. What he's proposed so far that we've seen is some legislation that would take away the employer liability shield for employers that do impose mandates and legislation that would allow employees who are terminated or separated from their employment because they refuse to get vaccinated, it would allow them to have unemployment benefits. So as the legislature ponders what it's going to do in Florida and these cases uh, make their way through the courts, do employers need to comply with this ETS? And if so, does the ETS apply to all employers regardless of size? All right. Yeah. So right now, yes, employers need to be paying attention. There are some deadlines. And like I mentioned before, the deadlines really are December 5th and then January 4th. So by January 4th, employers have to have all their employees fully vaccinated in order to get there in order to get that you know that that four weeks after the first shot then you get a second shot and then you need to wait another two weeks to be fully vaccinated according to the cdc that has to be completed by january 4th so employers will need to start moving and need to get these policies in place start letting their employees know that they need to do this as to your second question does it apply to all employers No, it only applies to employers that have at least 100 employees as of November 6th. That was the date. That was the magic date. However many employees were on the rolls or on the roster on November 6th, that's what's counted. That 100 number on that date is the threshold. Okay. So let's break that down a bit into some common scenarios that we're seeing. If my company utilizes hundreds of independent contractors, but employs less than 100 employees in an office space, do I need to comply? Yes, in that scenario, it's probably going to still be an it depends answer, but depending on your risk tolerance level for this. The ETS does not apply to independent contractors in and of itself. That's clear. That's that's one part of it. However, the import of the standard and the purpose that OSHA expressed of creating the standard was to ensure that the standard applies to all employers who can take on the burden or who can afford to impose this mandate and administer the mandate, administer a vaccine policy. Because it costs something for an employer to do that, to have this policy, to ensure that the policy is enforced. So OSHA wants to make sure that the employer can afford it. Solely pure independent contractors, 
those do not get counted. If you've got pure independent contractors and, and it's a clear-cut thing, you don't count those individuals. However, if there's somebody in your employee or doing work for you that you have a question about whether or not they're an in, independent contractor, that's going to be a little bit of a different answer. And it's going to be based on sort of a, a independent, you know, a, a fact by fact, a very fact specific inquiry. And I can't get into all that obviously here, but we know that there are concerns about independent contractors versus employees. And if you're concerned about that all, I would say count that person for now, or obviously you can call us. Okay. What if my company has only 50 employees, but there's a parent company who owns five other companies that all do the essentially the same thing in different locations and each company has 50 employees. How is that handled under the ETS? So again, that's one that's not really handled under the ETS, unfortunately, but it is one that I've already gotten a lot of questions about. So the DOL FAQs don't even address this at all. What they do address is a franchisee-franchisor relationship. So in that situation, a pure franchisee-franchisor relationship where they're separated, HR is independent, policies are independent, everything is separate, you do not combine the employees for the count. However, if you have a parent subsidiary or sister companies, something like that, it's a little bit different. What the DOL and OSHA has said is that if your safety policies are administered by the same entity, so if they're administered by the same people, the same group, then you should combine for counting. So you, you in that scenario, you would aggregate the counting, but it is going to be a factually based question still. Really, it was missed by the ETS, this parent subsidiary, the sister sibling entities by the ETS and the FAQs, but right now that's all that we can discern is is safety policies administered by the same entity. Okay, so when in doubt, if there's an independent contractor versus employee question or a franchisee question, we should give Nancy a call and the folks at Littler <laughs> so we can sort these out because it's a very individualized assessment, right? That, yeah, that's right. What about public employers in Florida? Do they need to comply? As you know, Florida governmental entities, state and local entities are not subject to OSHA. So they will not be subject to the dictates. OSHA cannot come in and enforce that guideline. Doesn't mean that it's not a good idea to look at the standards. Um, they still have their own safety issues. There's still negligence standards, all of that. But no, they're not subject to OSHA governance. What about employers subject to either the healthcare ETS or those covered under the federal contractor guidance? Yeah, so the healthcare ETS was issued previously. And then on the same day that this ETS came out, there was additional guidance issued for them under the um, CMS guidelines. And then you're also talking about that Safer Federal Worker Task Force COVID-19 Workplace Safety Guidance. That's a big, long name, but it's it's that, that rule that the White House put out for federal contractors. Those have both now, so the, the federal contractor one initially, employers had to comply with that by the beginning of December. That got pushed back to January 4th. So everything now, CMS, so healthcare workers, federal contractors, and employers over 100 are all, all have the same deadlines now. They all are have to have this completed and they have to have compliance by January 4th now. 
if you are already subject to the, and I'll just call it the federal contractor guidance, or if you're already subject to the healthcare guidance, this new ETS is not any more specific. You comply with those. This one is, is a little bit different, but it, it's the DOL specifically said, go ahead. You know, if you're healthcare, you comply with healthcare. You don't have to worry about this ETS. If you're a federal contractor, comply with federal contractor. You don't have to worry about this ETS. Okay. So we have talked about what employers are covered, which ones. So let's talk a little bit about what these covered employers must do. What do they have to do by December 5th, I guess is the deadline because they have to be up and running and, and hitting these on December 6th, right? That, that's right. It's 30 days from when it was issued. So it was issued November 5th. So it's really December 6th is the first day that there can be enforcement. So December 5th slash 6th. One of the biggest things is that they have to have an established written policy on vaccination. A lot of employers that we've talked to already have those, but a lot of them don't. So we need to make sure that if you're an employer, you have over 100 people, that you've got that policy and that it's it's got all the right things in it. That's, that's number one. It's got to be written this time because prior to this, you could have a policy that wasn't written. So that's number one. Another thing that employers have to do before December 6th is to determine the vaccination status of each employee and obtain acceptable proof of vaccination. And then they have to maintain those records. So that changes things up a little bit. So specifically now, before, you know, we talked to a lot of clients and they would maybe say, you know, can I just ask people to attest? Can they just, you know, say, hey, I got my vaccination, I'm gonna sign this and, and I confirm to you and I attest that I did get my vaccination. And yeah, that was fine. And that's that was perfectly acceptable. With the new ETS, employers going forward need to start obtaining a copy of their CDC card. They need to start obtaining, and they can just take a photocopy. You know, they, they can get that and take a photocopy of it. They can get a physician's note. They can get, and in Florida, this won't work, but in other states, one of the examples that OSHA gives is that they can get a, a state vaccination record. Florida, the COVID vaccine doesn't show up on your vaccination record. But those are the types of documents that employers need to now get for any employee going forward that hasn't already attested. Are there any recommendations that you're offering employers in Florida on the best way to or or options to gather this information? There are several um, you know, apps out there even to gather these types of, of records now. Um, I know Compliance HR has an app that they're developing that can be used for this. I think it might be up and running now. I'm not positive, but I know it's it'll be out there shortly if it's not. So employers can keep this, they can gather this information. And, and obviously, as I've reminded people in the past, those records are confidential information. You have to keep them, maintain them separately and maintain the confidential nature of those records once they're Obtained. So would that be an HR function of the of the company to do, you think? It should be. And and I mean, at this point, too, if you're subject to the CTS, you're going to have your own vaccination group. You're going to have somebody usually within HR, but there may it may be a multidisciplinary team, right? You might have management and HR and legal and safety and whoever, depending on your company, that group should be the one to to keep those records. And what else? Is that all that's required by the December 5th deadline or are there other requirements of the ETS? 
No, there's a few other things that are in the ETS. So for example, you know, employers by December 6th have to start removing any employee who tests positive for COVID. That's something I'm hoping most employers are doing already. They have to ensure that employees who are not fully vaccinated wear face coverings when indoors or if they're in a, like a car with another person for work purposes, they have to provide each employee. So this is kind of new. They need to provide each employee information about the ETS. And there's some specific things that need to be in that. So we can help you or you can, you know, you can find different samples, of, but there's different things that have to be in the notice. Like you have to talk about workplace policies and procedures, vaccination efficacy, safety and benefits of being vaccinated. You have to mention protections against retaliation and discrimination, and you have to mention laws that provide criminal penalties for knowingly supplying false documentation. Um, is, go ahead. Yep. Is that notice? Is that something that has to go out individually or is that something that can be put on a poster for lack of a better term and, and posted up in a break room or something like that? Yeah, that, that's not really specified by the ETS, but again, we would we would recommend it be sent out, you know, to each person individually, either by email or you can put a flyer in their mailboxes. However, people, you know, as they're coming into work, it really depends on your workforce, whatever method is to get to them. But I would I would suggest sort of an individualized notice if possible. So the other couple of things, I think there's just a couple other things that are required by December 5th slash 6th. And one is to provide support for employee vaccination. So with that, what that part of the ETS is talking about is, is providing some paid time off. So we're back to, to some of this paid time off, but it's not, it's not quite like that FFCRA, all of those different rules. This is simply for getting vaccinated and then for side effects to the vaccination. So what the ETS provides, and, and they're two different things. With respect to getting the vaccine, employers need to give employees up to four hours off for time spent, and it can be making the appointments, driving to the appointments, actually getting the vaccine, standing in line or whatever, if that vaccine appointment is made during their regular working hours, so during the regularly scheduled shift. That's, that's one part of this ETS. And that's a separate, like that's a separate four hours that the employee cannot be forced to use their sick time, their vacation time. They need to be paid for extra hours for that at their regular rate of pay. Now, it additionally provides that employers have to provide time off for employees who have side effects from the vaccines. So this is similar to some of the concepts that we had thought about during the FFCRA, but a little bit different. And the ETS doesn't give us a whole lot of guidance. It doesn't say there's a certain amount. It says that employers can put maximums, can say up to two days, can say up to one day, that employers can, it, it, it can they kind of use their discretion, but they can in this instance. So if it's for recovering from the vaccine, they can require employees to use their sick time, but they cannot require them to use their vacation time. So a couple little little nuances there. Those are things that like once you as a, a, an employer get that down, it'll be easy to, to kind of sort out, but a couple of little new nuances there. What about employees who are not vaccinated? Can you tell us a little bit about the weekly COVID testing as an alternative? Yeah. So if an employer asks somebody to be vaccinated and they're provided an accommodation and let's say their accommodation is granted, they're allowed to continue working, but they're not vaccinated, obviously. They then would have to have weekly testing. And if the testing is done, you know, employers can require them to do the testing off hours. However, they cannot do self-collected tests. So they can say, hey, go to a, you know, a, 
pharmacy or whatever, they can get the rapid antigen tests. They have to provide the results, you know, once a week. So once every seven days, if an employee has not been in the office for a while, so if they're normally working from home, but then come in, if they've been out of work for at least seven days, then they need to bring in a test. If they're, you know, going back and forth, sometimes they, they need to bring in the test essentially at least once every seven days. One thing that we were not sure was was going to happen here is we expected that OSHA would make employers pay for this tests, these tests, and they do not have to. That's kind of one piece of good news for employers out of this whole thing is they're not going to have to bear the burden of finding those tests and, and everything. They will have to, you know, still help the employees, give them, you know, help basically collect it and make sure that, again, if they get a, a documentation, the test result, keep that all separate. They're going to have to keep managing all that information, keep records, good records of whenever that employee brings you a test result so that you can maintain it. And OSHA is going to be start looking for those things. Well, great. So it seems like there's a lot for Florida employers to be doing right now, um, but also watch out for the outcomes of these lawsuits and what happens in the legislature starting November 15th. Thank you so much for, for shedding some light on all of this for us. Yep. And, and we'll definitely be back after the, the next legislative session and let everyone know kind of how that pans out. Make sure that everybody just kind of stays vigilant. And, and I would start, if you've got 100 employees or more, I would start working on your vaccine policies as soon as you can. I hope this episode has been helpful to everyone out there. And on the way out, I just want to remind our listeners that they can reach either of us via email. I'm at najohnson at littler.com and Kimberly's at kdowd, D-O-U-D, at littler.com. We're happy to, to answer any follow-up additional questions on this or any other COVID or vaccine-related topics. And we're going to continue to bring our candid analysis your way to help everyone keep moving forward. Remember, it's a new day in America. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers, addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.